All right, welcome everyone, wherever you're joining us. We are genuinely so glad that you have. Well, for a couple of weeks now, we've been having a blast looking at some of the key themes and highlights from the book called Hebrews in the New Testament. And as I told you in week one or two, uh, I think week one, that one of the key words in Hebrews is the word better, better. And, you know, there's always takeaways that I hope people are going to get from either a series or a sermon. And boy, that's one of those that I hope you would never forget, that one of the keys to the book of Hebrews that we're studying is that we have it better now, and that Jesus is better than all those things that came before. He's better than the prophets of Israel. He's better than the angels. You'll discover that he's better than Melchizedek's priesthood. Uh, he's giving us a, a better covenant than the old covenant. It's founded on better promises. There's a better law now because it's not written on tablets of stone. It's written on our hearts. There's a better mediator between God and people. There's a better remedy for sin. Not just forgiveness, but cleansing of the conscience as well that is internal. We have a better hope of drawing near to God. We find in chapter 11 that some of those who were being tortured and killed remained under that because they were looking for a better resurrection and we learn that God has something better planned for us who are under this new covenant. And the blood of Jesus speaks better than the blood of Abel. All of those things and more you can read right here in this book we're studying called Hebrews. What an amazing book it is. But today, I want us to look briefly at Jesus, our high priest. And again, as always, these messages are meant far more than just a theological study. It is important that we grow in our knowledge because it's kind of hard to obey something that you don't actually know. But as always, we want to go beyond knowledge and we want to move on to obedience. So uh, there's always an application in all of these studies we will have. And my hope today is that we would just fall in love with Jesus and honor him and serve him more than ever. So, from the earliest days of God's revelation, in other words, when he first started revealing himself, one of the things that he made clear to his people is that they needed a priest to be involved if sins were going to be forgiven and atoned for. You can read about this in the book of Leviticus. I spent a bunch of times in that book, a bunch of time in that book this week, studying these sacrifices. So we're not going to go into great detail because I'm afraid if we did, you might glaze over on me. You know what I mean? And get a bad case of Leviticus, and I wouldn't want anybody to get that. But here are the five Levitical offerings that God prescribed. I just want you to see them again. We could spend a long time describing these. I actually thought about it, but I was just afraid that I would lose uh, everyone. They are the burnt offering, the grain offering, 
fellowship offering. Now, they're all very different, and you can read them for yourself right in the book of Leviticus. This is the order in which they appear there. The sin offering, and finally, the guilt offering. Let's leave those up there for just a while on the screen. I want you to know, each of these offerings God prescribed had a specific purpose. But what's more, it not only had a purpose, each of them had specific procedures and processes for how the offering was to be made. Again, we're not gonna look at that detail, but here's, here's the one thing I felt was crucial for you to know. Here's the one thing. Every one of these offerings, different as they are, every one of them involved a member of Le the Levitical priesthood from the order of Aaron to make them happen. I hope you'll remember that and take that away. You had to take your offering, whether it was a, a grain offering, a blood sacrifice, whether it was a, a libation, like a drink offering. There's all these are represented, but every one of them had to be taken to the priest, and the priest was the mediator. That's what priests do. They stand between people and Almighty God, and they mediate. They provide a way for people to access God in various ways, God's forgiveness here with these, with these offerings. So if sins are gonna be forgiven or covered under the old covenant, you needed a priest to make it possible. Now, we won't say any more than that because I'm afraid Leviticus would be a real possibility. That's where you glaze over like a zombie and I just kinda lose you. And yes, you can thank me later for not going there in detail. But here's what I want you to know as a Christ follower. Hebrews teaches that Jesus is our high priest. This is the good part. He is superior. He's better than all the priests and all the high priests who came before. And that's crucial for us to understand if we're going to love and appreciate him as we should. That's that's why I decided to name the whole series Better Than All the Rest. Because the bottom line, I want you to know that what you experience now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if he is your high priest, your Lord, he's just better than all that other stuff that came before. So let's read the text for today. I'm gonna be looking, starting in chapter four, verse 14, and then we're gonna go on to a few verses in chapter five, Let's look at the text and then spend a few minutes unpacking it. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And now a few verses from chapter five. For every priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself but receives it 
when he is called by God. And then he makes this comparison to Christ here. So also, Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. And then now he's gonna quote two Old Testament passages. By the way, I told you last week, the better you understand the Old Testament, the better you're gonna understand the book of Hebrews. And man, there are a lot of quotes from the Old Testament. You're about to get one here from Psalm 2, and then you're gonna get one from Psalm chapter 10. He who said to him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. As he says also in another passage, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Those are two quotes, one from Psalm 2 and then that last one from Psalm 110. Now I want you to see two aspects of the work of Jesus, our high priest, and these are themes that permeate the book of Hebrews. So here's the first one, and this ought to make every genuine Christian very, 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 very happy. Here it is. Jesus purchased our forgiveness through his atoning death on the cross. That idea of Jesus purchasing our forgiveness, paying for it with his own precious blood, is a common theme in the New Testament. For instance, consider this verse from that great throne room scene in Revelation chapter five, verse nine. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because you were slain, and with your blood, you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So, those who belong to Christ do so because he's purchased you by his own precious blood. By the way, that was his whole mission. That's the whole reason Christmas happened. That's the whole reason Jesus came on an incarnational mission into this world. It had a purpose. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's why he came. And after he had purchased us from the bondage of sin and the devil, then after completing that work, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But please hear this part. His work continues. Did you know Jesus is still working? He is representing us before God. He's interceding to his Father. Now, Wow, if you get a hold of this today, I mean, there's no way you can't leave here encouraged. No way. If you get a hold of the profundity of what this means, that Jesus didn't just do a work on earth and then say, I'm chilling out for the rest of eternity. If you get that he's still working as your high priest, if you belong to him, you will go out of this place brimming with confidence because the repercussions, the implications of that are staggering. He is speaking to the Father on your behalf. You could put it like this. Jesus right now is administering what he's already purchased. Now, we're gonna talk about both parts of that today because they're both important, but I wanna start with the first part about how he purchased our forgiveness through his atoning sacrifice for our sins. So let, let me just quickly jump to several verses in Hebrews that teach this. 
First of all, chapter 10, verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. That says Jesus' death on the cross was a, did you catch that phrase, once for all sacrifice. Similarly, in chapter 7, verse 27, it says, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Or consider Hebrews 9, verse 12, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Or consider finally Hebrews 9 again, verses 26 to 28. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Now, you're getting the common theme, right? You're getting that theme. Not only is the word better a common theme in Hebrews, but this idea of a once-for-all sacrifice is another key in this book. What I'm saying to you is that there's a beautiful finality about the work of Jesus Christ. It was not a half-hearted job. Jesus didn't complete 97% of the work and then neglect the rest. When Jesus cried, tetelestai, from the cross, it is finished. He meant it. It was a once-for-all payment. To put it differently today, if you are in Christ, there is no sin you have ever committed that is not covered by the death of Jesus Christ as your substitute. Wow, that's good news, isn't it? And the writer of Hebrews wants you to know that. He wants, yeah, Jesus needs some applause for that because he accomplished all of that. And that's the whole point of us. We're to become like Christ in our, in our own character. We're to becoming, be becoming more like him every single day as we go from glory to glory, as he changes us into his image. The writer of Hebrews just wants you to understand you have it so much better than the old covenant believers did. Because under that old system, the priests were daily making sacrifices, morning sacrifices, evening sacrifices. They were making weekly sacrifices. They were making monthly sacrifices on the first day of the month. For goodness sake, they were making annual sacrifices. These were all written into the code that they followed as the festivals would happen and the people would come together they would last for days and sacrifices were being made. Essentially, the priests were up to their elbows in blood constantly with sacrifices offered to cover sins. But Jesus superseded and rendered obsolete all of that through his once-for-all death on the cross. And friends, for that, we should be forever grateful. 
And so when Jesus cried, it is finished, get this, it gets even better. Simultaneously with that cry, something mysterious and strange happened in the temple. The Bible says that when Jesus cried, it is finished, that that thick veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place, that veil was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, which might indicate that a human had done it, but it was torn from top to bottom, indicating God is the one opening this up. And from that very moment that that veil tore, every priest was out of a job. I mean, they were laid off permanently. They weren't just furloughed maybe to come back. They were done because every blood sacrifice was now obsolete and nothing more than cruelty to animals. And there's no more need for all that old system because Jesus purchased our forgiveness once and for all. It is finished. And friends, again, I'll say it, that is good news. Now, quickly, for those of you listening right now who are considering the claims of Christ, I just want to speak a personal word to you. And I think there are quite a few. You don't know for sure, do I believe this or not? Am I in? Am I out? You're on a journey. I get it. I get it, and I respect you for that. I honor that journey. But wow, you need to understand something here, because this is commonly misunderstood. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, listen, the gospel is no longer spelled D-O, do. It's no longer about what you can do and all the religious hoops you jump through to, in order to impress God. It's no longer about do this, do that, do more than you've ever done before. The problem with all that is you're under bondage, religious bondage. You never know if you've done enough, right? I want you to understand this. If you're trying to understand Christianity and, and you're window shopping Christianity, I want you to understand that the gospel is not spelled do, it's spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has already done at the cross as he purchased our forgiveness with his own precious blood. So I hope that is really, really clear. But now's, now it's time for the second part. It is also crucial to understand, if we're really going to understand the Christian life, we need to add something to what's already been said. Here's the next part. Jesus applies our forgiveness through his continuing work as our high priest. And here, I just want to tell you, here's where you're really going to start feeling how personal this is. So look out. Friends, do you know that it's possible to have something bought, purchased, paid in full, and yet still not be experiencing the benefits of it? I, I think that's very possible. Let me illustrate. In late October, I made a purchase online. It was charged to my credit card. But the purchase did not arrive until January the 18th. <laughs> Apparently, the Peloton company, yes, we bought a Peloton bike, we did. Apparently, they're so overwhelmed with all the orders during the pandemic, as a lot of health clubs have closed down, gone out of business, 
People are saying, well, I'll work out in my own home, that kind of thing. They simply can't keep up. So the purchase was made, charged to the credit, not, not a down payment. Mind you, it was paid in full. The entire price was paid in October, but it was not delivered until January 18. And because it had not been delivered yet, because we'd not received that Peloton bike yet, guess what? Even though it was fully purchased, we got no experiential benefit from it from that bike at all. Now hear me. There are things in the Christian life that are ours in Christ, purchased in full by the Lord Jesus. We sing about them on Sunday. We claim them. We affirm them. We believe them. And yet back at home, Monday through Saturday, we have no experiential benefit from them at all. This this is where the continuing work of Jesus, our high priest, comes in. He is interceding for us. He is speaking on our behalf, applying before the Father the effectiveness of what he's already purchased at the cross. And he can do this for one reason. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. Whoa, whoa, time out. I think you're contradicting yourself here. You said a while ago that when that veil in the temple tore, every priest from that moment on was out of a job. So how can Jesus be our high priest now? That's a great question. It's because he's not from the order of Aaron. He's from the new order, the order of Melchizedek. Every priest from the order of Aaron was laid off permanently but it's now time for a new high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Here's the way Hebrews 7 puts this. Now, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. Now, who is this mysterious figure here known as Melchizedek? He's a strange figure that shows up in Genesis 14, one time in one passage. He's referred to in Psalm 110, which is a psalm of David. You can read it there, a very short psalm, like seven verses. But he's referred to eight times in the book of Hebrews. Now, what I'm saying to you, there's only two other mentions in all the Bible. If it weren't for what's said about him in the book of Hebrews, we would not appreciate the profundity of what this Melchizedek figure, who he is and what he means. So he arrives on the scene. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read a passage here from Genesis 14. You can find it there if you'd like. It'll also be on the screens. He shows up here in Genesis, as it were, out of the blue. Here's the background of this. Abraham's nephew, Lot, has been kidnapped, okay? And Abraham is ticked off about this. He, he wants to go and rescue his nephew. So he gets together this ad hoc army, and he goes to rescue his nephew, Lot. And, 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 and he, he wins the battle. And I'm reading now from Genesis 14, starting in verse 17. After Abram, now this is before his name was changed to Abraham, so it's the same person, all right? 
After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomer, I hope you name your next son that, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Now let's pause there for just a moment. Think of the symbolic drama of this meeting and the significance. I mean, the king of Sodom is there. Uh, Sodom has become notorious for selfishness and depravity. And Abraham is there. Abraham's name is synonymous with righteousness because of his faith in God and, and that he's, he tended to take God at his word and obey him. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek. What? I mean, we have no idea who this person is. He just shows up out of the blue. Where did he come from? You're reading along. And up until now, you would think that, humanly speaking, Abraham is the star of the show, right? He's the man of faith. He's the one who was called by God. He's the one who has God's special touch on his life. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram. What? Abraham's the big muckety-muck. He's the star of the show. How can Melchizedek bless him? Because as Hebrew says, without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So the one doing the blessing here is greater than this great man of faith, Abraham, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Wow. Here's the king of Sodom representing evil, depravity, wickedness that Sodom is known for. And here's Abraham, this man of God, the man who's clothed in righteousness, and they're meeting together, and up shows this guy, Melchizedek. Remember I talked to you last week about types, two posts? These Old Testament person, place, thing, or event that foreshadows or prefigures a New Testament person, place, thing, or event? Guess what? Another type right here. And Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. And he gives to Abraham bread and wine. Does that remind you of anything? Sure, right? You obviously get that. Immediately you think, it's the body, it's the blood of Jesus. It's what we do when we take communion together, the Lord's Supper. So who is this guy, Melchizedek? His name first means king of righteousness, but then he's also the king of Salem, which means king of peace. And by the way, that's always the order in which they have to come. Righteousness, then peace. Little application here. I know a lot of people who are looking for peace in their life. There's so much turmoil and so much stress and so much to be anxious about. They're looking for peace, but a little thing Scripture teaches us here, you have to deal with the righteousness issue before you can have lasting peace. Big lesson. You may have temporary peace. You may have ephemeral peace. You may have situational peace that lasts for a little while, but stable, consistent, enduring peace only comes after the righteousness issue has been dealt with. What I'm saying to you is that it only comes through a right relationship with God. And that's where the stable, lasting, enduring peace that passes all understanding 
begins to guard over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now, why does the writer of Hebrews, why does he bring this up? Why does he make an issue of this? Because he's made it very, very clear that Jesus paid for sins once for all, past, present, future, but it is not once for all that we have access to the experiential benefits of that. You you remember those five Levitical sacrifices that we talked about earlier? I said, although they're all different, they have one thing in common at least, that is they all require the involvement of a priest. And then I told you the temple veil was torn from top to bottom and every Jewish priest was out of a job. Sir, where can we find a priest to stand in for us on behalf of our sin? That's what Jesus Christ, our high priest, is doing now. The Apostle John speaks of this very issue in 1 John chapter 2, where he says, but if anyone does sin, if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. He's our advocate. He's our defense attorney. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if we sin in the Christian life, we should not, and we will, We should not cavalierly say, oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, I committed adultery. What's the big deal? Yeah, I stole. I lied. I cheated. Don't sweat it. I treated someone horribly. No big deal. Jesus Christ died for all that stuff. He forgive me. That's his job. No, no, no. In deep humility and brokenness, we should bring it to the priest, Jesus, our high priest, and say, please forgive me, Lord, the forgiveness that you purchased at the cross, would you now apply it so I can benefit from it experientially? Now, as I said earlier, this is the continuing work of Jesus, our high priest. He's interceding for us, meaning he is speaking on our behalf, applying before the Father the effectiveness of what he's already purchased for us. So when things go wrong in our lives and we're guilty of sin, we may feel, wow, am I still connected to God here? Does God still love me? Am I in? Am I out? Look at what the apostle says in 1 John 1. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Make no mistake, real Christ followers still sin. If no one else knows that, your spouse does, trust me. (laughs) If no one else knows that, your best friend probably knows that about you. But he goes on in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. But thank God for the verse that's sandwiched between those two. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You say, but Pastor Rex, wait a minute. If Jesus has already paid for all my sins, past, present, and future, like you said, then why do I still need to confess a sin I commit? The reason is because I need a renewed application of the justification God has already given me. 
I need my conscience cleansed. I need to be able to walk before God day by day, moment by moment, in confidence, with a clear conscience, knowing that I'm in intimate fellowship with God and that that is unbroken. So if you're in Christ today, I wanna say it to you again, every sin that you've committed or will commit was dealt with by Christ at the cross. And there's absolutely no contradiction between justification by faith and our need for ongoing forgiveness of sin. By the way, takeaway here, if you don't have a time every day when you kind of let God the Holy Spirit examine your soul and you confess sin to him, I strongly recommend you begin that right away. That's real big. That's real important. Let, let him point out the areas, say, wow, you really treated that person badly there. You, you snubbed this person. You were unkind there. Whoa, you knew there's something you should have done, and you just blatantly didn't do it. Wow, you really went off the rails here. And let God point those things out and confess them to God. That's the way we keep short accounts with God. But when I confess those daily sins to God, listen, I'm not asking God to re-justify me. He's already done that. That's once for all. I'm asking to walk before him in confidence that Christ has paid it all. Justification, once for all thing. But confessing sin and receiving forgiveness is ongoing until in heaven. Praise be to God, we will sin no more. So when Debbie and I paid for that Peloton bike, we lived for over two and a half months without receiving the benefits of what had been purchased. And when you go for days, weeks, even months without humbly confessing sin to God, you are squandering the benefits of what Christ purchased for you. You have a high priest. He is there for you. He loves you. He's not against you. And by the way, one little footnote, when those nasty people begin to gossip and backbite about you, when people say unkind things about you and things that hurt your feelings and things that are slanderous and lies, listen, listen. You can be really comforted in those moments knowing that Jesus knows the real score. And what he says about you is that you are in him and you are righteous and you are good and you are redeemed and you are a son or daughter of the king. And it really doesn't matter so much when you realize that that's what Jesus says about you. It doesn't matter so much what others are saying. Do you get it? That's the work of our high priest. And he represents us to God the Father. It's time, friends, it's time that we begin to experience the full benefits of all that Jesus has already purchased for us. Father, would you help us today to walk away so encouraged to honor and love you more than ever because you are our high priest, better than all the rest, better than all that old covenant stuff. Thank you that you paid once for all for our sins and thank you that in your high priestly role right now, you continue to apply that forgiveness 
day by day, moment by moment, as we bring those sins to you. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.